Um, so we're talking about some big things today, divorce, remarriage, and adultery. Um, so looking at these pieces of it, what's the grounds for divorce is kind of where, it st- where it's going to start out at. And then do I commit adultery, adultery if I remarry after my um, divorce? So this is a huge, huge topic because there's some big statements in the Word of God that you read and go, whoa, what is this statement? And uh, it's a topic that we definitely need um, to be uh, discussing, a topic that we definitely um, need to know, and a topic we definitely need to understand. So we are going to be working off of marriage for these next couple weeks, and uh, so we're bringing up those, these kind of rough topics of wondering what the Word of God says. So when it comes to divorce, remarriage, adultery, uh, number one, I think we all know this um, top point is that God um, hates um, divorce. Malachi 2.16 just comes right out and says, this is my feelings in regards to divorce. Um, I hate it. Why does God hate it so much? Why would God despise divorce? Um, The greatest, richest picture of Christ in his church is the bride and he is the groom being connected. Now, during these processes of being married, some large things take place. And what I mean by large thing takes place is there is intimacy where you get heart to heart, soul to soul, flesh to flesh, that gets really rich with somebody that you do not get rich with another person at all. And as soon as you get rich with another person in regards to heart to heart, soul to soul, flesh to flesh, this one gets destroyed. And this one does not create something new, something good. So when it comes to divorce, to rip that first one that takes place is, is a ripping of almost of one flesh. I was talking to um, somebody uh, this last week, and as I was talking to somebody this last week, um, it's under the topic of getting married. You know, should I get married again and how long? Uh, in regards, should I get married, you know, um, again? And I'm not going to give you the details of the conversation, but it was always never rush into it. Um, Go slow. Um, Two years, bare minimum. The only reason why you say two years is because people won't do five. (laughs) I mean, that you go to it really, really slow. And the reason why you want to, if you go into marriage, another marriage really, really slow is because the ripping of the one flesh shatters us as people. It shatters us. It shatters our kids. It is damage that is so severe that takes place inside of us that it's going to be hard to recover, hard to recover from extremely hard to recover from. In fact, you won't recover from it um, in regards to the rest of your life. Because once you have that one flesh intimacy, it will always be, you know, it will always be looking back on. And I consistently make the statement that a bad marriage is a lot better than a good divorce. So if you have a really good divorce that works, it's not nearly, um, is, is, um, it's still bad. It's still very, very difficult. So God wants the best for his people. So what does he say? Don't divorce. God wants the best for his children that we have. So what does he say? He said, don't divorce. Don't rip that peace. Matthew five thirty two. Now this is a verse that we're really going to work heavy on um, probably at the end of this service and then also even next service because it is a radical verse that makes a statement. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now that is a radical, 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 radical statement spoken to by Jesus. This verse right here, we're going to know every ins and outs of this verse. (laughs) Because we want to understand what it's saying because what this is saying is something so severe, something so strong, something so powerful... What is God communicating in regards to that? We will continue to work on that statement, but right now, I just brought the statement up to say, God hates divorce. Number two, the only provisions in the Bible for divorce and remarriage is sexual infidelity and physical abandonment. Remember what we're doing in this class. 
is we want to know specifically of what the Bible says. Um, because we have these emotions. Okay, should I divorce? Should I not divorce? Uh, what does the Bible say in regards to divorce? Um, there is two things that the Bible says in regards to divorce, and we want to look at those. Matthew 19, 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, here's the same passage except it's later on in the book, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. There is an exception clause that is placed in there. Let's ask the question, why is that exception clause even there? Um, Unless for marriage unfaithfulness, what does that mean? Marriage unfaithfulness is sexual sin. One thing about um, sex, and we're going to go into this, you know, a couple months down the road, but sex carries a dynamic that if it ever happens, nothing will ever be the same in the relationship. So in other words, pretend like you're young, two young people are dating, 18, 19, 20, they're dating for three years. Um, As they are dating for three years, they are maintaining a relationship that is something. If they say, okay, now we're going to have sex, they just brought a relationship that has completely changed. There's a whole different relationship that happens. That means if they break up now, just talking about marriage, if they break up, they... um, it will be completely different if they didn't have sex. If they broke up before they had sex, it would be completely different if they did have sex afterwards. You see the dynamic of that? Um, it is such an emotional connection that takes place. This clause is put in there because God understands that emotional connection. The healing of it, the process of mending again is so difficult. Uh, the process of being able to uh, maintain the integrity, process of being able to maintain the relationship, the process of being able to maintain the relationship inside of it is very difficult when this um, takes place. And I think we understand that in regards to adultery. But I'm going to say this multiple times. Sexual sin is not mean you have to commit, have a divorce. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to have a divorce. It means God is a God of faithful that can mend it. It's an exception that is brought in there, but it does not mean, okay, adultery took place, I have to have a divorce. No, an adultery takes place, somebody walks in my office and says, we committed adultery, what do you think I'm going to say to them? Buckle down. <laughs> Let's get strong. Let's get hard. we got a God that carries grace, and you're going to have a mountain to climb, and you're going to have valleys to go through, and it is going to be difficult, 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 difficult through this process, but don't do it. Don't, you know, don't break. <laughs> don't, don't, don't divorce. That is my encouragement. But God understands the dynamics of sex that it is going to be so, so hard in regards to an adultery taking place, keeping that marriage together. But it is brought up there. It is said. And that is what the Bible um, is spoken of. First Corinthians seven fifteen. This would be physical abandonment. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So all of a sudden, somebody leaves, somebody is gone, somebody commits that divorce, the innocent bystander is not the one um, that is is to blame. And uh, there's almost like a, a freedom that does take place in that clause as a freedom of take of sexual infidelity. Sexual infidelity takes place. There is like, okay, sexual infidelity has taken place. There is a clause that brings a freedom from the innocent bystander and a clause that brings a freedom from the person that um, um, was, was abandoned as well. Those two passages are very specific, abandonment and sexual infidelity. Now, why are we bringing this up? <laughs> the reason why we're bringing this up is because we would want more than sexual infidelity, and we might want more than being abandoned. Um, well, what about? 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 So these verses are very clear. Two things, but then we have to ask the question, well, what about this? Well, what about this? What about this? And everybody has a different story <laughs> that is out there, and there's a cry to, well, what about? What about? What about? Um, so number three, um, this is what we're just going to look at. Are there any grounds for divorce beyond what the Bible says? Spousal abuse, child abuse, addictions, crime, 
imprisonments, etc. We can go through absolutely everything. And is there something in the Bible that will give me the freedom of divorce? Remember that God is saying, I hate divorce. And there, is there a freedom in it anywhere? We give us these two exceptions. But what about, what about, what about, what about? I would have to say, because this is exactly what the Bible says, I'd have to say no. Um, if God didn't give the two exceptions, then we could say yes <laughs> a little bit easier. The reason why is because we can kind of mold it and fix it and move it a little bit. Um, but when he gives two blatant exceptions, then the other thing would be like, okay, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about? And you start to wonder, I'd have to say no. Now, the response to hearing Scripture say, no, what do you mean? Is a woman supposed to live under the house of being abused? Is a woman supposed to be living in her house where there is addiction? Is a, a woman supposed to live underneath a house where their, their children is being abused, emotional abuse being torn apart um, in, in those things? What, give us the answer, what you know, the Bible says um, in regards to this. My answer would be no. <laughs> a woman is not supposed to live. I'm sorry, I'm using men, women. Hopefully, you guys don't mind here. But a woman is not supposed to live in a house where he, she is abused. A woman is not supposed to live in a house where their children are abused. But holding on to scripture, it's not like, okay, I'm abused, now I'm getting a divorce. Holding on to scripture would say, this would be my advice. I need to pull away. I need to move out. I need to have protection. I believe that the Bible is always speaking, consistently speaking, uh, speaking of reconciliation, of, of, of the marriage being put together. Now, with the marriage being put together, it doesn't mean you live underneath the violence. It doesn't mean that you live underneath the addictions. It doesn't mean you live underneath all that. It means that you make a move for the purpose of reconciliation, for the purpose of restoration. So in our mind, we always have our mind, I've got to restore. Well, what does restore mean? Does it mean accept abuse? No, restore doesn't mean accept abuse. Restore means I'm going to remove myself and bring out, I can't live underneath this. Are you going to seek help? Are you going to give counseling? Are, you, are we going to go after help? Are we going to go after counseling? What you're doing is you're taking the arm to go around to say, things have got to change. You're taking the ministry and saying, things have to change. This cannot be it. Um, that ministry is huge in this world. That ministry is needed in this world. We need people to stand strong, to take the strong hand, move out, look around and say, things have to be restored. Things have to be healthy. Things have to be good. I can't live under this fear, therefore I am not going to live under this fear. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 says, now brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of this saying. Do not go beyond what is written. That is saying, what is written is adultery, and what is written is abandonment. According to this verse, we could say, don't go beyond this, because God might want something richer in the process of doing this. You might be thinking, how would God want something richer? How would something richer be in the process of this? Well, number one, if you're married... Often we have children. Watching how you're handling that process of going out, moving along, and saying, this is going to take place. Who's watching you? <laughs> they watch a lot closer than we want them to watch. They are educated by the observation of us. And every single child in this world needs a rock. They need to know what's right. They need to know what's healthy. They need to know what is good, and they need to not live under fear. They need to live under aggression, rock. Pulling them out, watching, observing the statement, divorce is huge, and in this process of being huge, we will watch, we'll observe, but we will and keep away, and we will seek restoration. Whenever somebody walks in my office, it's like, well, should we restore? The answer is always restore, but restore is a radical movement 
into restoration. It's not living under the environment. 1 Corinthians seven eleven, But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried, for to be or married or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any, brothers, if, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. What does it mean your children would be unclean? Children watching it, observing it, being trained by it. What we've done in the world, we've made grounds for divorce almost anything in regards to verbal abuse, in regards to um, anything that's out there. Well, you know, I didn't get breakfast in the morning. Does I get breakfast in the morning? I don't understand why I'm not being served. I don't understand. I think I'm just going to leave. Their divorce is so huge that I believe that scriptures very speak very, very strong about consistently go in restoration. So I hang on to these verses, and the reason I have to hang on to these verses is because people walk in and say, well, I, can I have a divorce? And the first thing that always comes out of my mind is you can do some radical things. You can do some radical things, but always do everything for the purpose of restoration. I think the sexual sin is, okay, you can do some radical things, purpose of restoration, but there still might be a gap that you just cannot make. And I think that's why God gives us freedom. But, of course, a woman would much be rather beaten than raped, meaning that sexual peace comes so rich um, at it. Um, it comes so rich that God is saying, I don't know if we can overcome this one, but I think we can overcome um, other things. So a lot of people uh, would disagree with me on that. There is no stones that are being cast um, in any direction. The Word of God speaks to people the pastor doesn't speak to people. So in other words, if the pastor is speaking to people, that's not necessarily the word of God. Open up the word of God. God, set in my heart what your truth is and give me guidance, give me direction as I live in this life and in these situations and circumstances. So number four, even though sexual infidelity and physical abandonment is the only provisions for divorce, divorce is still not required and should not um, be encouraged. Why? Because we always think that the grass is greener on the other side, but the problem is that, is that it isn't. And in, if somebody um, goes through a divorce, the chances of them getting a divorce again goes up. In other words, the, uh, the, rate, the rate is about 50 right now, but it goes up to 65% on their second marriage. On the third marriage, you know what it does? It goes up to 75%. And every additional marriage, the chances of you getting divorced again are just going to continue to go up, continue to go up. So we live in this shattered world with two sinful individuals trying to live together, trying to work together, trying to survive together. And God's saying, stick it out because it's pro- it is the best thing um, for your benefit um, to, um, to go through it. So I know that those are statements that are sent out there, so I just throw those statements out. You guys hear them. You guys listen to them. If you come to my office and say, I want a divorce. This is taking place. It's always going to seek towards restoration. What can we do? How can we work? How can we survive to go through this? But this is in the back of my mind because I believe that this is where um, the Word um, speaks of, is what the Word says. So every situation and circumstances, you guys could bring it up and say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Um, I guess the only answer I would give is um, always seek restoration and be radical doing it in whatever that is. Um, okay, so we're going to ask this big question. Do you guys want questions off that? Do you guys want to ask questions? Any questions? Yeah, Sam, so we'll grab a question here. We'll wait for, the, we'll wait for this one, please. Okay, when uh, God allowed Moses through the hardening of people's heart to put their wives away in written documents, even though he didn't allow it, but, you know, does people go 
off that concept and just live off of that versus what we're really talking about now? You're talking about passage in Deuteronomy that we are definitely going to be working over. Moses allowed them to have a certificate of divorce in regards to their heart, uh, the hardness of their heart. And um, hopefully we get that to, get to that today. Um, but uh, the answer is some people do work off of that, but people that study the Bible don't. People that know the Bible don't. People that... Um, Read the Bible, don't. And the reason why is because Jesus made a radical statement. The Pharisee says, well, Moses said. Jesus says, well, I say. <laughs> and, uh, and then he brought us back to Genesis 1. But we want to know, it's a, such a good question, Sam, because we want to know why Moses said it. Because Moses said it. Why did he say it? Um, I have the verse on my notes, and we'll get to it why he said it, you know, in the first place. It's not just a hard heart. It's um, something else that comes alongside of it that's even stronger than even a hard heart um, in, that, in that regards. Good question, though. Very good. And we'll definitely be working off those, those passages. But I brought those passages on the topic of adultery after divorce more so than <laughs> the grounds of divorce. All right, so now we can ask um, this question. And uh, this is a really anticipated question. Do I commit adultery if I remarry after my um, divorce? Um, Huge, huge, huge question because Jesus makes radical, radical, radical um, statements. And when these radical statements are made, there's an observation off of them, but there's even beyond an observation off of them, there's condemnation coming from others in regards to the radical statements that Jesus makes. I read a lot of articles in regards to um, committing adultery after the remarried. Um, Andy Stanley, you know, gives his point. And his point, I would say, is, is no. That's what his point is. Um, so if he made the point, the state that no... Well, you've got 20 other people that are going to write articles against it, rebuting the conversation of where Andy Stanley stands. Now, when these people rebuke against that, they don't just say, you know, I disagree with Andy Stanley. They go really, really deep. This is what happens when we drift away from the world so we can have itching ears hear the Word of God. This is almost a heretic because he believes this. So it's just an aggression of force that comes out that if you say no, there's aggression of force that comes out and says, well, you're, not, you're just preaching what people want to hear. You're not even preaching the word anymore. So it's a topic that is a huge, huge topic and a topic that I highly doubt we're going to be able to finish today looking at our time. So we'll feast on it again tomorrow. I want to look at the topic. You'll understand what I believe possibly during the topic. And then I have consistent statements I'll probably go over next week that I will go over next week that says this is what I believe and this is why I believe them. We probably won't get to that, but let's look at the topic. If remarriage is adulterous, the marriage must be adulterous, not the wedding. So say you believe that marriage is committing adultery. The person that believes that marriage is committing adultery, they cannot say that it is not continual. They can't say that it only happens once. If you're making the bold statement in Matthew 5 that if you commit adultery, you live in an adulterous relationship, it is not, you commit adultery once and then, then you're free. That is the radical statement that is being said. Now, I have a problem with that. Personally, I have a problem with that. And here's a couple of problems I have with that. Number A, if this is the case, it should be the goal of every church to break up the second marriages in our church. If you are in a consistent, people are in a consistent, adulterous relationship in regards to their second marriage, what should be the goal of people? We need to break it up. Why? Because it's a perpetual sin. It's a sin that is consistently committed over and over and over and over and over and over again. So here I'm a pastor, everybody shows up, and as everybody shows up, I'm saying, okay, if you're in a second marriage, you're committing adultery, um they are living in the consistent sin as we're preaching the Word of God. Is seeds going to go into their heart? Are they going to go to their mind? Are they going to bear fruit? 
Um, the answer would be no. And that is a reason, I'm just saying it, why I do not believe it is consistent adultery after this. Hebrews 10, 26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. So if you are on your second marriage and you're committing, a, um, you, and you're just on your second marriage, you're living in a perpetual sin, and this is saying there's no sacrifice left. Well, I just consistently took away the character of God because he's definitely not a God of grace in regards to a second marriage. Continue to walk down. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled over the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? That is an aggressive verse. And that being an aggressive verse, I want to read it, and I want to change what is in my life. So here's a divorced couple. They have remarried. They read that verse. Can they change it? Can they go back? Should they go back? Should they divorce from the second person? The answer is absolutely not. That's stupid. That is ridiculous. But if it's a perpetual sin, then wouldn't that be the case? Just kind of working through these. One of the topics is, I disagree with it is, is because... I'm not going to break up every marriage in the church on the second marriage because I don't believe that every marriage in the church and the second marriage is living in adultery. I just, I just don't. Number B, Scripture does insinuate that a divorced person will get remarried. Where does Scripture insinuate a divorced person will get remarried? The same verse that he mentions it's committing adultery. Look at this verse very closely. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except marital unfaithfulness, causes her to commit adultery. How do you commit adultery? You have to have sexual union with somebody else if you commit adultery, don't you? Well, this is just saying, if you divorce your second wife, she's already an adulteress. It's not saying she divorces and then gets remarried. It's instantly, you cause her to commit adultery, insinuating the fact that she's just going to remarry. There's almost an insinuation that's going to be there that you're going to, you're going to remarry. Um, sex is the most addictive thing you can possibly imagine, more addictive than any sorts of drugs or anything, because God has longness to have this intimacy and this closeness together, this peace, this oneness of intimacy together. So if a divorce takes place, according to this, it's just like, you just automatically cause her. Why would you have my cause her? Because she's probably automatically going to get married again. And then it talks about anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. There's a complete insinuation right there that this person is just going to get, that person is just going to get married. Um, is there not? Because all of a sudden it's just specifically talking about it. Number two, if remarriage is adulterous, okay, now I want to explain this piece. If remarriage is adulterous for uh, your former union with your past spouse must remain intact after the second marriage is done. What this statement here is, is somebody that believes that it is adulterous. If it is adulterous, then your mu first marriage must remain intact. Is that the truth? You know, Jesus says, if you, commit, if you remarry, you're going to commit adultery. Does that mean that your second marriage is intact? It has to be intact. So in other words, just to give you a picture... Is it, I'm married, I commit, um, we break up when we have a divorce, and then all of a sudden I move into another marriage, am I married to this person still? And then I move on to another marriage, am I still married to the first person? If you commit adultery, it has to remain intact. This piece would have to remain intact. That's why I disagree with it. The reason why I disagree with it is, number A, Scripture doesn't insinuate that the first union remains intact. A lot of people say, you know, the sexual interaction, the sexual contact is the marriage, 
And if you pull away from that and have sex somewhere else, you're marrying um, then, then that first one is the intact one. Um, it doesn't insinuate that that is the case. Here we have John 4. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. When he's talking to the woman at the well, what does he say? These are the words. The fact is, he's explaining her sin. You have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, is what she said. Now, Jesus completely misquoted himself if he believes you live in adultery on your second marriage. And the reason why is because, you'd have to quote it this way, if you look at, this is in fact, you have five husbands. Number one, you can't have five husbands if your first marriage is your one husband. You can't have five husbands. You have the first husband, not five. And then he goes on and says, the person you're with now is not even your husband. You see, what's taking place is God's not insinuating that the very first person you marry is going to stay with you for the rest of your life. And if you, sleep, if you marry anybody else, you're going to commit adultery. There is a split. You have one husband, then you have two husbands, then you have three husbands, then you have four husbands, then you have five husbands. Um, how could you make that statement if you believed that you only really have one when you first get married. You can't make that statement. Of course, this is not teaching it. It's insinuating the fact that it's not consistently committing adultery. Um, Letter B, every act of intercourse and every moment of emotional intimacy to your second wife is unfaithful to your first spouse if you look at the first marriage is your sole marriage, is um, is is your number one union. Um, that means you can't survive in the second marriage. Why? Because everything is perpetual in regards to adultery. I, I just disagree with that. Completely disagree with that. Here, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, makes a statement. Oh. Oh, the slides are done? Okay. Um, so... I'm going to read Deuteronomy. We're going to talk a little bit about Deuteronomy. The slides um, are done in regards to uh, what we're doing next, just to let you guys know. So I'll try to slow down and just read the passages. They will not be on the screen. Do you guys, um, we'll try to go slow to give you your notes, your notes as well. So Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. We're going to explain. Here's, here's Sam. This is what you brought up. If a, marry, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if he dies, then her first husband who divorces her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. The, the, uh, that would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring this sin upon the land of the Lord, or your God is giving you his inheritance. Moses is saying that you can give your wife a certificate of divorce. Why would you give your wife a certificate of divorce, and why would Moses make that statement to say it is okay? We come up with a fast answer and say, well, because their hearts are hard. There's a deeper answer beyond that. You see what was taking place um, in the land is that men were very dominant, very male, um, very dominant in the relationship. Uh, men was in charge. Men did what they want. Men were the prime caregivers, the prime feeders. He had the authority. means the women did not have much authority. So what the men would do is sexual relationships were taking place everywhere. So what the men would do is they'd have one lady here, they'd have one lady here, and then it's like, oh, well, we need to make sure that, you know, this is where polygamy started. Well, you know, you can embrace a wife here, you can embrace a wife here, you can embrace a wife here. And people's hearts were so hard against the Word of God. Moses says, you are completely destroying this nation in regards to your hard hearts. Completely destroying this nation and completely destroying people, completely destroying women. The way that you're destroying women is that you would embrace a woman, you would marry her, and then you just find another lover, then you'd marry them, or you just have another lover, and then this lady right here would just be completely destroyed. 
as an outcast completely to society, never to get married again. So the, for the purpose of allowing remarriage, what did Moses do? He says, I want you to set her free. I want her to set her free in society. And therefore, if you're going to set her free in society, what do you want you to do? Give her a certificate of divorce. If you give her a certificate of divorce, what does that certificate do for her? It allows her to what? It allows her to, to remarriage. That was what the certificate of divorce in Deuteronomy did for the lady that were, ladies that were living in oppression because the men's hearts were completely hardened to them. And then, of course, we see this brought back up with the Pharisees. Well, Moses says, what do you say, Jesus? And then Jesus makes a statement. But we will bring it up and ask a question. Is that second marriage of that lady that had the certificate of divorce an adulterous relationship? Is it an adulterous relationship? It better not be, because Leviticus 20 says this. If a man commits adultery with a man's, another man's wife, with the wife of his own neighbor, both adulterer and adulteress must be put to death. You see what's taking place is there's law that's in place, and as the law is in place, all of a sudden certificates of divorces are given. Now this is the Old Testament, but certificates of the divorces are given. Those certificates would be a death sentence if the second marriage was adulterous in the Old Testament. You see what I'm saying? If the second marriage was adulterous, that certificate of divorce would be a death sentence in the law. So when Jesus um, is talking and that is brought up, he definitely brings him clear back to Genesis and said, this is not the way it was from the beginning. And then he, tries to bring, he does bring the marriages back together in confronting the Pharisees and saying, you're committing adultery right now in regards to um, if you get married. Again, that was that radical statement that he brought. So number C, um, I'll go slow. Four of the six texts makes exceptions for the innocent party. Four of the six texts make exceptions for the innocent party. Now remember, we're working off of number two. If remarriage is adulterous, your former union with your past spouse must remain intact after the second marriage. I disagree with that statement, and the reason why I disagree with that statement is because four of the six texts make exceptions for the innocent party. If there's an exception for the innocent party, are they consistently committing, um, committing adultery? And I do have these four exceptions um, that are there, but I think I just really want to get into um, where I stand just to kind of look at the, the pieces um, of Scripture of wondering, well, where do I stand in regards to are we committing adultery um, um, if we remarry again? This is, um, this is what I believe. Number one, I'll say it slow. Jesus used graphic rhetoric to express his hate for divorce. There is nowhere in Scripture you can say Jesus does not hate divorce. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where you can say God does not hate divorce. There is such a hate for divorce because it ruins us as people and it ruins us as children. And every time, our children, every time you open up the Word of God, you're going to get something. What are you going to get? You're going to get the hate for divorce. That is what you're going to get. In fact, Jesus even uses some extreme rhetoric, some graphic rhetoric to say, do not do it. What is this graphic rhetoric? If you do it, you are committing adultery, and the person that marries you is committing adultery as well. I hate divorce. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. But have you ever um, read the verses above that passage in Matthew? I just want to read the verses above that passage in Matthew. And then as we read the verses, you'll notice that that passage is going to fall into the back part of it. Here's Jesus talking. He shows up to earth and he preaches a sermon that changes the world. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I say that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to the judgment of murder. What did Jesus just do? He says, you talk about murder, 
I'm talking about anger. Well, what's he making a statement of? He's taken murder and he's turned it almost into a different thing. He's taken it to a wholly different level. See, I'm not talking about murder. I'm talking about anger. He continues to go, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. You talk about committing adultery, I say if you even look at a woman lustfully, adultery is already done. Then he gets even more aggressive. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye, right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Furthermore, this is verse 31, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say, if you divorce your wife, For any other reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman must commit adultery. That is the context of the passage. What's going on? Jesus is using graphic rhetoric, hyperbole that is even there to say, this is my hate for anger. This is my hate for your lust. This is my hate for your divorce. And this is what I think about it when it, is, when it is going on. The other thing that Jesus is doing is he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he's rewriting the law. And people think that Jesus watered the law down. Did Jesus water the law down? No, the law is here that people cannot complete. The whole Old Testament cannot complete the law. And since they cannot complete the law, they're waiting for a Savior. And what's the Savior going to do? The Savior is going to get rid of the law and everybody can be happy. No, the Savior doesn't get rid of the law. The Savior takes the law and increases it so high, so strong, so powerful, that every single person in this room is an adulterer. Every single person, and I'm standing with you as well, in this room is a murderer. He increased the law so high that the Pharisees who can take the law sit back and say, for somebody to wipe out the law, he is just now calling me a dead, rotten sinner. And there's no way that the law can be completed. He put everybody on the same plane. As soon as he put everybody on the same plane, what did he do? He says, nobody in this world can complete the law. The only thing that you can do is look at the one that completed the law, went to the cross, died in your stead, and rose again so you can be saved. See what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's taking the law so high to say you are all dead and you cannot be completed. Look at me for the purpose of grace. This is Christ's personality. A crowd, a, a Jesus of redemption. A Jesus of reconciliation. A Jesus that has embraced people and that will forgive people under any circumstances of their sin as long as you look to him. We see that in the Old Testament. Look up at the serpent. The bronze serpent. And by doing it, you can be saved, and for no other reason besides whatsoever. So this is a graphic statement in regards to adultery. Some people say, I cannot believe that you just said it is not adultery. Well, Jesus just said anger was murder, and he also said that lust was adultery. Look at the whole passage rather than just grabbing that that one piece. The other part. Number two, the focal point of every biblical passage is on preventing divorce, not punishing the remarriage. I'll say that again. I don't know how many lines you guys have. The focal point of every biblical passage is on preventing divorce, not punishing remarriage. So if you look at every passage, it talks about if you remarry, you're going to commit adultery. Everyone has a focus. And what's the focus? A hate, a despise an anger, a frustration on divorce. And then there's a statement. If you do, this is what's going to take place. The point that he's getting across is his, his anger and frustration for divorces. Don't divorce, don't divorce, don't divorce is what's shouting from every single passage. Not don't remarry, don't remarry, don't remarry, don't remarry. There's almost insinuations that you will remarry, but it's on divorce. That's the focus, and that's why those passages are being brought up. Uh, number three, this is what I believe, a marriage is a marriage. 
God does not view a second marriage invalid or adulterous. That's what I believe. We had um, um, a story, I'll just tell you a fast story. In fact, I might have even told it to you before. Um, but we had a, um, a neighbor invite another neighbor to church, and these people were brand new and had not been in church for 30 years. And sure enough, the neighbor came, and after the neighbor came, um, enjoyed the worship, enjoyed the songs, enjoyed the fellowship, and enjoyed um, those things that were, were coming out. Um, and as they enjoyed, they felt peace here, but all of a sudden, communion was offered um, in the front. And as communion um, was offered in the front, the neighbor who invited the neighbor says, do you want to come down and take communion with us? And then those people walked up and took communion with them. Um, after those four individuals went back, the people that showed up to church um, by the invite uh, were crying in their seats. And uh, the people that invited them were sitting next to them wondering, well, what do I say to this person? How, you know, should I intervene and say, is everything all right? I mean, all we did was take communion. What's, what's the problem here? And as they were sitting together, um, the neighbor that goes to Jefferson, the person that goes to Jefferson Baptist Church just said, I'm just going to let it go and let God work on their heart. Uh, well, after some time went by, um, they found out the reason why they were crying. Uh, the reason why they were so broken is because 30 years ago, the last time they walked into church, uh, a priest walked up to them before they took communion and says, you can never take communion again because this is your second marriage. They were completely isolated from Jesus Christ, from God, in regards to a second marriage that was done. And when they moved forward to communion, what did they feel? They felt the freedom of grace, the freedom of Christ, and the freedom of God. We can preach judgment all we want, but all the judgment that comes out is going to go to the cross for those who believe for those who are redeemed. If we start preaching, well, this is your sin, this is your sin, and we turn into to sin managers, well, this is your second marriage, this is your second marriage, this is not pointing in the right direction. Because the direction of all our sin is to do what? Is to go specifically to the cross. There's a reason why this is such a hot topic. And the reason why it's such a hot topic is because there is a group of people that have remained married their whole life and they have not fallen for a different marriage. They remain married, and we always, I hate to say it, we always point the finger where we're good at. If we're good at something, we point the finger to somebody that's not good, and this is the judgment that this person could have about a thousand other sins, but we remain married, and then we move, well, those people that got married again, they're committing adultery. That's why the topic is so hot, because they keep on throwing it out there. But is that correct? Is that pointing them to the cross of Christ? Is it pointing them to the freedom of Christ? Everything should be pointing to the, the freedom of Christ and, and the cross of Christ because he's going to wash all your sins away. If you go to God and say, God, please wash my sins away. I am on my second marriage and I want to be new. I want to be clean. I want to be purified. I want to be whole. Does God give you other directions? Say, well, you need a divorce. No, he doesn't say that. You can be whole, you can be clean, you can be purified in your second marriage. That's what I believe. A marriage is a marriage. It's not viewed as an, adult, uh, an invalid and an adulterous marriage. Your second marriage is a marriage. Number four, going slow again. Oh, I'm out of time. Jesus is not against those who have suffered divorce. He is against those who are contemplating divorce. If you ever look at that consistently, peace, he's Attacking those that are contemplating the divorce, not attacking those who have suffered divorce all the way through Scripture. This is what it says. Did everybody get those notes? Jesus is not against those who have suffered divorce. He's against those who are contemplating divorce. Number five, I'm just going to read them. Only the innocent party is allowed to remarry, not the one who abandoned or committed the sexual immorality. Um, I will say that Jesus used graphic rhetoric to say, I hate divorce. That graphic rhetoric comes out with a purpose. And the purpose is, don't go commit adultery. Don't break up your marriage. Don't abandon anybody. Stay pure to the person that you marriage. Knock it off. <laughs> Why would he be so aggressive with saying, if you do that, 
anybody you commit, uh, anybody who marries you is going to commit adultery, and you're committing adultery now. The reason why he says that is because he doesn't want you to ruin your marriage. And he is strong with that. Somebody walks in my office and says, okay, I've committed adultery, um, and I want to marry my, um, this person I committed adultery with. Would you perform the wedding? What would I say? I would say no, because Jesus uses graphic rhetoric to say don't do that, and the chances of them having another adultery are so high that they would not believe. That must mean I better hurry up and be done. The chances of them completely destroying other people are not there. So that is huge. Don't do it. It's, we, can't, we can't avoid the Scripture and say, well, this is no big deal. Scripture says, if you commit adultery, you need to stay single for the rest of your life. It just says that. I would encourage anybody, commit adultery, you just stay single for the rest of your life. If you committed adultery and you're married again, what would I say? God is a God of restoration. God is a God that will forgive you, and that will come on to the next point. Number six, if you're a guilty party, so this is a guilty person, and you are remarried, God is a God of grace and forgiveness. Remain married and love your mate like Christ loved the church. If you are the guilty party, say you had an affair, and now you're married in your second marriage, how are you going to clean it up? There's only one thing to do to clean it up. And that's go to the cross and ask for forgiveness. Go to God's grace and say, set me free. God will do what? Condemn you? No. God will forgive you. God will set you free and then remain married and love your wife that you have now like Christ loved the church. Don't start splitting everything up and tearing everything apart again. It's just, it, that's just as bad as your first divorce if you do that. Number seven, a divorced and remarried believer should not feel any less loved by God even if the divorce and remarriage is not covered um, under the exception clause. I put, it should be under, but I put under the exception clause. Under the exception clause. A divorced and remarried believer should not feel any less loved by God, even if the divorce and remarriage is not covered under the exception clause. Hopefully you got those statements in there. I know we didn't have them on the screen, but this is what I believe the Bible is teaching. Because you can't just grab one verse and take the verse and throw it into people's faces out of its context. Now you can grab a verse, and it can be an aggressive verse. There's a point that's being made, we should be preaching the point. And hopefully you got that, that if you're thinking about divorce, don't do it. If you've had uh, a sexual relationship outside your marriage, don't get married again. <laughs> if you are with somebody, stay with that person. Those are the three. A lot of information, so sorry about all that information, a kind of a uh, longer than I supposed to. I didn't even leave it up for questions and answers. We might even focus a little bit more on it next week with, um, with uh, things on the screen. Okay? You guys are dismissed.